So if you've been around for a while, you'll, you'll know that we've been doing this occasional series called A Life Worth Living. I think it was one of the Greek philosophers, let's say Socrates, um, who said, the unexamined life is not worth living. The idea is that if you want to live a life that uh, makes sense, that, that has purpose and meaning, you need to think about why you're doing what you're doing. You need to think about, am I doing whatever it is I'm doing? Am I doing it right? Is this how it should be done? To, to examine your life. And, and to help us to think about a life worth living, we've gone back to those opening chapters of Genesis, and we're just picking out some of the, the big ideas that are there in Genesis. We thought about men and women. We thought about rest and Sabbath. Uh, we thought about the givenness of things, that there is an order to how the Lord has made the world. And we're going to keep going and pick out more things that help us to understand life and how to live it. But this morning, we are thinking about the idea of work and vocation. So let's get uh, straight into it. Our first idea is the the glory of work, the goodness of work. Now, as we head back into Genesis, the first thing, as we think about the idea of work, that we need to see is that our work is like God's work. So in the opening chapter of Genesis, we see that God is at work. Listen to the summary at the end of Creation Week, chapter 2, verse 2, just before our reading By the seventh day, God had finished the work that he had been doing. On the seventh day, he rested from all the work of creating. Creation is God at work. And there's more we can say about God's work, but by creating the earth, he's not just bringing something out of nothing. There are two things in particular that he is doing. We've seen this before, so I'm going to perhaps skip over this a little bit quicker. But, but the idea here is that there are, there are two problems at the start of the Bible, right at the beginning of Genesis. There are two problems. 1 verse 2, the, the earth is formless. It has no order or structure. And the earth is empty. It is lifeless. And so through his work, God is overcoming both those things. He brings order, form, and shape to the world. That's what you see happening in in days one to three. And then he brings fullness and and life to the world. That is what you see happening in days four to six. So in creating the world, the Lord is at work, bringing order and fullness to the cosmos. And then God creates humanity in his likeness to be like him in some way. And therefore, it shouldn't surprise us that the task that he calls us to is like his task. So Genesis 1, verse 28. God blessed them, that's humanity, Adam and Eve, and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and every living creature that moves on the ground. Do you see the similarity here? Just as God brought order out of chaos, he creates men and women to rule over the earth and subdue it, to bring order on earth where there would be chaos. And just as God brought fullness out of emptiness, he creates men and women to fill the earth and be fruitful. The Lord works at the cosmic level to bring fullness and order. And then he says to men and women made in his image, you do the same on earth. Brilliantly, he then shows Adam and Eve what he means, what can be done. 
The whole earth in Genesis chapter 2 is barren. Nothing is growing. It's a bit like the cosmos of chapter 1 verse 2, but on a micro level, formless and lifeless. And God creates Adam. But before he sets Adam to work, he shows him what you can do with this canvas that is the earth. Genesis 2 verse 8. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of the life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Those of you similar age to me, maybe you used to watch a bit of Art Attack growing up. I used to love Art Attack. Neil Buchanan, full of, full of art projects and ideas if you've not seen it. Maybe a bit older, Tony Hart might, might spring to mind. Very similar idea. And what would happen, Neil Buchanan, he'd get a cereal box and, and he'd show you how you could turn it into a piece of art. Or he'd get some paint and a straw and then he'd blow the paint and turn it into this masterpiece. Here's what you can do. And then off you'd go and do the same. Obviously, it would look nothing like his. You know, I reckon he had a team of 50 people helping him to produce these things. But it was inspiring. You saw what could be done and then you wanted to do the same. The Lord gives Adam a front row seat and says, watch this. And he fills this garden with, well, look what he fills it with. Goodness. Trees that were good for food. Beauty. Trees that were pleasing to the eye. And truth. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A tree that speaks of order and rightness, a right way and a wrong way to live in God's world. A garden that is full of truth and beauty and goodness and order. God says to Adam, look what can be done with this earth. And now go fill the rest of the earth likewise. Fill the earth with life instead of death. Fill the earth with order instead of chaos. Push back against the forces of disorder and lies and evil. Push back against the forces of death and destruction and decay. Here is God's plan for the earth. An earth filled with the glory of goodness and truth and beauty. And he uses us to accomplish that plan. It's God's plan to fill the earth with goodness, beauty, and truth. And if it's going to happen, well, then we need to be at work. Chapter 2, verse 5. One of the reasons why the earth is barren is because no human had been formed to work it yet. And when you think about it, all kinds of work can bring order and, and fullness, can't they? Accountants, medics, teachers, armed forces, manufacturers, bankers. When you understand the idea of bringing fullness instead of lifelessness, when you understand of pushing back against the forces of decay and disorder and chaos, well, then all kinds of roles help fulfill that. Walt Disney once said about his own profession, this is what we storytellers do. We restore order with imagination. 
we restore order with imagination. Let me paint in a different way that you could live life. Let me show you a better way that you could live life. So here is the glory of work. I appreciate we've gone through that quite quickly, but here is the glory of work. Fill the earth with life and order. Fill it with truth and beauty and goodness. Now, I appreciate that if you're flipping burgers in McDonald's, this sounds a little bit grand, doesn't it? But it must be possible, mustn't it? It must be possible that in God's great plan and purpose to fill this world with goodness, truth, and beauty, that your role in some way contributes to that, even if you can't see how. Think about this for a moment. Think about how a pencil is made. Discovered this in our holiday in France in the summer. We went to a quirky museum all about French schooling. We know how to enjoy ourselves uh, when we're taking a break from education. It's very niche. They, they, it was not at all aimed at the English tourists. They were very surprised to see some English people turn up. So obviously, I, I dazzled them with my French. And, and while they were dazzled, um, Laura actually negotiated our way in. And the first exhibit was all about how the French firm Bic make coloring pencils. And I'm telling you now, it was fascinating. <laughs> Do you know how many occupations, how many components it takes to make one pencil? You've got to chop down a tree for the wood. You've got to mill the wood. You've got to mine for the lead and the different chemicals that make up the colors. You need bricks and electricity for the factory. Cardboard boxes to sell the pencils in. And then someone needs to smelt the iron and process it for the metal tip that the rubber sits in at the end of the pencil. I don't even know where that rubber comes from, but someone does it. That there are so many occupations needed just to make one pencil. And the person chopping down the tree, they probably have no idea what this wood is going to be turned into. Or, or the, the, the person pulling levers in a power station to provide electricity, again, has no idea what it will result in. Here's the point. If we cannot see all the processes involved in making just a pencil... It is not surprising that we might struggle to see how our job contributes to God's cosmic plan of filling the earth with goodness, truth, and beauty. One writer put it like this. We don't have the capacity to understand the majestic sweep of what God is up to. He, he says to Smith, stand here in that particular spot and when the whistle blows, pull that lever. Why? Smith thinks to himself. Just pull the lever, God replies. How does flipping hamburgers in McDonald's contribute to God filling the earth with goodness, truth, beauty, and order? I don't know. Maybe this, though. Maybe God is working on you at that moment. As you do the mundane work, maybe he's pushing back forces of disorder and chaos and evil in your own heart. Maybe he's filling your heart with an appreciation of the life that is yours in Christ. I don't know. But if it is legitimate work, morally sound work, God says, just flip the burger. Here is the glory of work. It is how God brings fullness and order to the earth. It's how he fills the earth with goodness, beauty, truth, and order. And yes, of course, sin has distorted and, and disrupted uh, our experience of work and what we can accomplish through our work. And we'll perhaps think a bit more about that in our midweek groups. 
but it hasn't taken away the goodness of work, the glory of work. The glory of work. Second, the importance of vocation. I want us to spend a few moments thinking about an idea that Christians in the past would talk a lot about, but something that perhaps we've neglected. The idea of vocation or calling. That the work, you see, that God asks humanity to do in Genesis 1, filling the earth and ruling the earth, it's not less than our paid work, but it is more than our paid work, isn't it? So, Filling the earth, most obviously in Genesis 1, included filling the earth with children. Sadly, you don't get paid for, for doing that. That's why the idea of vocation or calling is useful. Because our vocation, our calling, it includes our paid work, but it is broader than that. One writer, be on the screen, put it like this. Your vocation is the sum total of all the responsibilities God has given you. That will include paid work, but it's more than that, isn't it? This idea comes up in 1 Corinthians 7. 1 Corinthians 7, verse 17, Paul writes, Nevertheless, each person should live as a believer in whatever situation that a Lord has assigned to them, just as God has called them. The Lord has assigned us roles and duties and responsibilities. He has called us to something. Or Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. We are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. The Lord has prepared good works for us to do, roles and duties and responsibilities that we might walk in them. And some of those callings, some aspects of our vocation, if you like, are, are very obvious, aren't they? If you are married, then part of your vocation is to be a husband or wife. If you have children, then part of your calling is to be a parent. If you are a citizen, then part of your vocation is to obey magistrates and authorities. If you are retired, then you may still be grandparents or, or church members or, or, or part of a neighborhood, all which will come with responsibilities. And these callings... These vocations are just as much part of how we fill the earth with goodness, truth, and beauty. How we can bring fullness where there would be emptiness and order where there would be chaos. So our vocation is the sum total of the responsibilities that God has called us into. But having said it's more than our paid work... It does include our paid work, what God has called us into. That there's a sense in which God has called us to the jobs, the occupations that we currently have. Under his sovereign care. He has governed all things to bring about the lives that we live. That means the job you have is not a coincidence. It's not random. No, our glorious and gracious Heavenly Father has prepared works for you in advance. He has assigned roles. He has worked through your circumstances and your upbringing and your likes and dislikes, and he has worked through your skills and gifts to bring you into the job that you have right now. 
our vocation, our calling, including our jobs, are the responsibilities and good works that the Lord has given us to do, that we might bring fullness and order into the world. So with that in mind, here's two things to just think about. First, if the life we are living, that the responsibilities we have are God-given, then that gives a dignity to our vocation, doesn't it? You might be a son or daughter with elderly parents, and for this reason, your vocation right now includes caring for them, feeding them, maybe washing them. You might have a friend who is housebound with no relatives, and part of your vocation then is to visit, and it's to tidy the house, it's to make sure their needs are met and they're eating properly. These kinds of things often go unnoticed in the world, don't they? Unvalued. But this is a calling calling given to you by God. It is precious in his sight. It has dignity. So first, our vocations have dignity. Second, if our vocations are the responsibilities God has given to us, then maybe we want to be slow to change our vocation or to change our job. Listen again to 1 Corinthians 7, verse 17. Nevertheless, each person should live as a believer in whatever situation the Lord has assigned to them, just as God called them. Paul says something similar at the end. 1 Corinthians 7, verse 24. Brothers and sisters, each person as responsible to God should remain in the situation they were in when God called them. Now, there's a particular situation in Corinth, which we haven't got time to go into, but there are some principles here. And first and foremost, I think Paul has in mind those aspects of our calling and our vocation that are binding upon us. Husband, wife, mother, father, employer, employee, generally speaking, we don't get to walk away from those responsibilities. We have an obligation to fulfill those callings. There's a scene in one of the Narnia novels, Voyage of the Dawn Treader. King Caspian has been leading his men on a quest to the end of the earth, and they've sailed as far as they could, but they've not reached the end of the earth. The boat can go no further. But then Caspian says to his men, well, I'm going to carry on. You can go home. He says, I'm going to abdicate. I'm going to give up my position as king. And those close to him immediately say, you cannot do that. It is desertion. You cannot walk away from that responsibility that has been given you. It's true for us. that There are parts of our vocation that we should not change. You don't get to abandon your children. You don't get to walk away from your marriage. You don't get to give up on work and expect others to meet your needs. Now, live as a believer in whatever situation that God has assigned to you. Now, as I say, Paul, I don't want to say that Paul is saying you cannot change your job. That isn't, that isn't true. In 1 Corinthians 7, he, he says to slaves, for example, if you can get your freedom, of course, get your freedom. Yes, there are times when change is appropriate. But there is a principle here from 1 Corinthians 7, and I think it's this. Don't be hasty. There are, there are good reasons to change occupation if our work is preventing us from fulfilling our, our other responsibilities. 
If our work becomes immoral or it goes against our conscience, if we're not paid enough, or if there's an opportunity to earn more that we might bless more, if it doesn't fit with our gifts and abilities or we're finding it physically or emotionally crippling, yes, there are good reasons to change your role and your job. But all I think I'd say from 1 Corinthians 7 is just don't be hasty. Remember, it is the Lord Jesus who has called you to that work and he has placed you there. That means we might actually be in the right place, doing the right thing, even if it feels like drudgery. This reflection from John Calvin, it will be on the screen. He says, each man will bear and swallow the discomfort vexations, weariness, and anxieties in his calling when he has been persuaded that the burden was laid upon him by God. From this will arise also a singular comfort that it will shine and be reckoned very precious in God's sight. Your work might feel soul-destroying at times, and maybe it is right to change, but don't be hasty. The Lord Jesus has assigned this role to you. It is him you work for. Maybe there is honor to be found. Maybe there is good to be found in sticking it out. Again, it's fine to change your job. But do we ever perhaps think about this side of the equation? So embrace your vocation. Embrace all the responsibilities and work that God has called you to as you seek to bring life and order into his world. Finally, the glory of work, the importance of vocation, the purpose of work. Why do we do it? Well, there's loads of answers you could come up with when you think about the purpose of work. The Lord commands us. On Thessalonians chapter 4, you should mind your own business and work with your hands. We need to. For physical provision, again, 1 Thessalonians 4 verse 12, so that you will not be dependent on anybody. Work so that you can provide for yourselves. But I want to think about two big reasons we get in the New Testament. We work for the pleasure of God and we work for the good of others. So first, we work for the pleasure of God. Colossians chapter 3 verse 17, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, Do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Whatever you do, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Whether it's flipping burgers, filing accounts, painting walls, diagnosing the sick, do it all for the glory of God and the service of Christ. That kind of changes our work a bit, doesn't it? Certainly our perspective on it. If you are in a thankless job, no acknowledgement at the hours you work. There is no recognition about how exhausting it is. Of course, you can try and seek better conditions, better pay. That's no problem. But remember this, your work done in faith, your service done without grumbling is a living sacrifice pleasing to the Lord. If you're a mother at home focusing on raising your children, no one sees your patience, no, no pay rise, there's no annual review. Hopefully, if your husband has any sense, he'll be a great source of encouragement. But remember this, your motherhood, done in faith, is a living sacrifice, pleasing to the Lord. 
So work for the pleasure of the Lord, for his glory. Next, work for the good of others. Two greatest commandments, aren't they? To love the Lord, your God, with all your heart, soul, strength and mind. We work because we long for the pleasure of God. But second, we have to love our neighbour as ourself. We work for the good of others. And one of the best ways that we can do that, love our neighbour, is to hold down a job, is to fulfil our vocations. Now, obviously, there are some roles, paid roles, that don't contribute to the well-being of society. Don't work for a gambling firm. Don't work for, for loan sharks. But most jobs, in small ways and big ways, produce good. And so when we pray, Lord, give us this day our daily bread, how does he answer that prayer? It doesn't just miraculously appear on your table, does it? No, he answers it through the vocations of farmers and millers and bakers and truck drivers and bankers and warehouse workers and supermarket employees and so on. So many occupations necessary just to get that piece of toast on your table this morning for breakfast. When we hear Jesus' call to love our neighbor, very often we think we need to do something dramatic, don't we? Something exceptional. End third world debt. Fight climate change. Social justice, brilliant. You've got the time, you've got the energy, the desire, brilliant. But each day you turn up to work, each day you are productive in your vocation, each day you file your accounts and teach in your classroom or teach in your home, you, you are loving your neighbor. Our, our vocation is given to us by God so that we might bring him glory and love our neighbor. Work for the pleasure of God and work for the good of others. And look, as we close, I want us to leave with, with one thought if the purpose of our work and our vocation is the glory of God and the good of others, then don't be lazy. Don't be lazy in your vocation. Don't be lazy in your job. Actually, it's okay to be ambitious. It's okay to, be, to seek fruitfulness. The Bible is full of warnings about laziness, isn't it? Proverbs, the sluggard does not plow in the autumn. He will seek a harvest and have nothing. Countless other verses warning against laziness. And there are lots of encouragements to be fruitful and productive. Fill the earth. Live a life worthy of the Lord, says Paul in Colossians 1, bearing fruit in every good work. In the different responsibilities that make up our vocation, home life, work life, church life, social life, whatever it is, it is okay, in fact, it is good to be ambitious, to be productive. Not so that we make a name for ourselves. Not so that we can store up treasures on earth. But instead, be ambitious, don't be lazy in your vocation for the pleasure of God and the good of others. So whatever makes up your calling, think how can I take what God has given me and be fruitful with it? Maybe you've got another 10 years in your job. Maybe you've got aging parents. Maybe you've got skills and gifts that could bless people that you're currently not using. 
How can I be fruitful in those next 10 years? Husbands, you've been given authority and responsibility over your family. That is your calling. What's your ambition for them? What would fruitfulness look like? Where do you want your family to be in the next five years? Well, mothers, in 1 Timothy 5, verse 14, God calls you to manage your homes. Now, I know back in the first century, the home was a a place of production and not just living. It's different, isn't it, today? Still in the Bible. And if that is your vocation, your calling, how can you be ambitious with your home? Writer Rebecca Merkel put it like this, be on the screen. Build your house. Take the gifts God has given you, the desires he has given you, the constraints that he has given you, and then figure out how to weave those into something glorious, something compelling, a beautiful aroma that can't be contained, that beckons a broken world to come and taste, to see that the Lord is good. It's a great vision for a home, isn't it? Whatever makes up your vocation, your calling, wherever the Lord has put you, how can you be fruitful with it? Bringing increasing pleasure to the Lord and increasing good to those around you. And this really is me finishing, but I just want to put this one caveat in. Do not measure your fruitfulness alongside others. For you, given your constraints, given your health, given your stage of life, being fruitful and ambitious may look very different to someone else. Maybe it just means that you make it to church every Sunday. Maybe it just means you wake up and you go to work, you do a day's work, and you get up and you do the same thing the next day. Before the Lord, given who you are and the constraints on your life, ask him to help you be fruitful in the vocation that he has given you. So the Lord has a vision for this earth, to fill the earth with goodness and truth and beauty, to push back the forces of death and sickness, to push back the forces of disorder, chaos, and evil. And he calls us to join him. Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to the Father through him. Remember to quiet, and I'm going to pray. Heavenly Father, what a glorious vision you have for this earth, to fill it with truth, goodness, beauty, with order and life. We know, and it pains us and grieves us that sin has brought so much of the opposite into this world, that sin has made our task, our commission, that much harder. But please, as you make us more into the likeness of Christ, Help us to fulfill the roles that you have given us, whether that is paid employment or whether that is other responsibilities in life. Help us to be those who are part of that plan to bring fullness and order into the world. To your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.